Welcome to Authors Are Rock Stars, a podcast dedicated to YA lit and rockin' music. I'm Allison. And I'm back. It's Michelle. Yay! After having her cute baby, Michelle <laughs> is back with us. We're so happy. Welcome back, Michelle. Thank you. So, we've got an interview with the fabulous Shannon Messenger, author of Let the Sky Fall, which is out March 5th. And we're very excited. Oh my gosh. I love this book. It's just... I like paranormal books in general and all that kind of stuff, but this one's just different because it's about wind people and it's windy and delightful. <laughs> I don't know how to I don't know how to describe it. It's very whimsical too at times, and I I just love it. I Shannon love it. has a great sense of humor, and there's such a good romance. Mm-hmm. And yeah, wind like who would have thought? It's really cool. So inventive. I love it. Well, before we get to the interview with her, let's just do a quick book pick of the month. And I said pick because I don't have one. Yeah, Michelle's off duty this month, you guys. She's got her cute baby to cuddle. So, But I will share that I read Paper Valentine by Brenna Yovanoff. And it sounds sweet because Valentine, right? But it's actually super creepy and scary. It's about a serial killer is going around murdering girls in this young town. And our main character can speak to the ghost of her dead best friend, and together they're going to solve the mystery. Um, So keep the lights on and read it because it is super awesome. You really like those creepy books, don't you? I do, you know? I'm starting to wonder about you, Allison. (laughs) I just like to be a little scared, and I like it when the author does it well, and and Brenna Yovanoff really pulled it off. So anyway, I recommend it for a good scare. Awesome. Well, let's get to the interview with Shannon Messenger. We are so excited to be sitting down via Skype with the fabulous Shannon Messenger, author of Let the Sky Fall, which debuts in March, and the awesome middle grade novel Keeper of the Lost Cities, which is getting rave reviews. Thank you so much for joining us, Shannon. Oh, thank you guys so much for having me. This is so much fun. She is fabulous, you guys. Seriously, we run into Shannon at all these events, and we're so excited we finally got to have you on the show officially. We love Shannon. Aww. <laughs> Let's kick things off today by having you introduce both of your series to our listeners. Well, my middle grade series is called Keeper of the Lost Cities, which is also the name of the first book. And um, it's about a 12-year-old girl who finds out that she belongs to a secret world and, you know, just sort of has to save the human race. No pressure no or anything. That's all. No big deal. Just something you wake up and do. And then my YA series coming out March 5th is called Let the Sky Fall. That's the name of book one. I don't know if that's going to be the series name or not, but it is about two teenagers who can control the wind and there's lots of swoony romance and kissing and then someone coming to kill them. So I seem to have a theme with that. (laughs) A little bit of everything. Was it challenging switching narratives back and forth between a middle grade book and a teen audience for your YA novel? Yes, although honestly the harder part is that Keeper of the Lost Cities is written in third person past tense and Let the Sky Fall is written in first person dual POV present tense. And the tenses are always what throw me off the most in the beginning. You wouldn't think about it, but it just, it. when I first switch gears, I tend to have it wrong and have to go back and conjugate all the verbs, which isn't fun. <laughs> grammar. Yes. Oh, curse you, grammar. Yeah, seriously. Have you found that you have a preference for writing one or the other? You know, they're both such different animals that I don't think that I actually have a preference. I will say that so far the events for middle grades, especially going to schools and stuff, is just so fun because the kids are so excited. And when kids love something, they love it. I mean, I get emails from kids who have already read the book like 10 times and are obsessing about every little detail. And I don't know that you're going to get that as much with teenagers because they have to be a little bit more cool. (laughs) They like something, but they're not like shamelessly in love with things the way kids 
kids are. So I do think that will probably always be a little bit more fun. But as far as like which one I prefer, they're both fun in different ways. I get to be more romantic and angsty and let the sky fall. I get to have a little bit more just like fun and silly humor and Keeper of the Lost Cities. I mean, I get to make glittery poop jokes, which you don't really get to do in a romance. So, mm. Well, if anyone could, you know. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I'm determined to find a way. <laughs> well, can you give us any tidbits about Exile, the anticipated sequel to Keeper of the Lost Cities? Ooh, okay. Well, I don't want to spoil anything for anyone, but I will say that when you've read book one, you would know that Exile is sort of the place that Sophie is always threatened to have to go and that she really, really does not want to go. So... The title in and of itself sort of tells you something there about where she has to go in book two. I won't tell you why, Mm. but she has to go to a very dark place. But there's also a lot of fun in it. There's one of my absolute favorite creatures that I've invented so far is the one that's on the cover. It's an alicorn, which is a flying unicorn that's sparkly, also the source of the sparkly poop. (laughs) (laughs) Because I decided that everything would sparkle. So the horse is able to communicate with my main character and she's kind of pushy and drives Sophie crazy and I had so much fun writing that. Plus, it pretty much fulfilled my 12-year-old unicorn sparkly dreams of getting to have I was going to say, I just fell in love with it for the cover because of the alicorn on the cover. Yeah, I mean, who doesn't want a sparkly winged unicorn on the cover of their book? Like, Yeah, I want want one in my backyard. I too. Although the sparkly poop still stinks, so you may not. That's true, that's true, but at least it's pretty. It's pretty. <laughs> so both of your books have elements of fantasy and the supernatural. Do you tend to gravitate towards paranormal and fantasy as a reader? Very much so, yeah. I I tend to like to escape. I tend to like something that's going to take me somewhere that I've never been. Not to say that I don't love a good contemporary, but I do definitely gravitate towards something that's more fantastical just because it feels like, you know, something totally different than what I see every day. True. Very true. Very true. I agree. I love I love fantasy. Well, yep, I too, just obviously. <laughs> well, I just have to say that I adore Let the Sky Fall, mm-hmm. and I cannot wait to learn more about this world within a world with air <laughs> elementals and wind songs. So, from what I understood reading online, you wrote Keeper of Lost Cities and then pursued getting it published, but. Let the Skyfall was meant as just a for fun project. Can you tell us about how these two stories came to be and were you writing both books at the same time? Yeah, okay. Well, Keeper was, I, I, this is one of the things I do at my school presentations. I talk about how the version of Keeper of the Lost Cities that everybody's reading is actually draft 20. <laughs> yeah. In my defense, the first 12 of those, I never got to the end. I sort of got bored with the story as I was going, which is usually a sign that, you know, you're kind of doing something wrong. <laughs> so I, I never made it all the way through the draft. But But once I signed with my agent, we went through quite a lot of rounds of revision and middle grade is very, very slow on submission. Most editors only have like one or two slots on their list for a middle grade book a lot of times because the market is so YA dominated. It might be more than that, but that's what it felt like when I was going through it. It felt like there's only one slot and it's never going to be me. So during that whole process, I spent a lot of time in the waiting zone and my friends were very good about encouraging me to keep 
keep writing. And you don't want to work on the sequel for a book that hasn't sold because then you could be wasting your time if it never sells. So I wanted to write something different, something that felt like it would not be at all similar to the book in case that book didn't sell. It would feel sort of counterproductive to write something very similar to it again. But I really didn't plan to write YA. This, the story for Let the Sky Fall sort of took over my life and I, it just sort of would not go away until I wrote it. That's actually why it wasn't something that I was ever planning on publishing because it was doing a lot of things that I had promised never to do in my books, which was it has a lot of me in there. You can't really tell unless you know me, but the setting is where I grew up. Oh, wow. And the house that Vane lives in is actually based on my best friend growing up's house. And there's just a lot of inside jokes in there that are, are me. And and so I, I usually don't do that. I try to keep the world more separate from anything that has to do with me. But I was just writing it for fun. And so a lot of that got incorporated. So it's a little bit strange now that it's sold. And especially since it's sold, and I think it's already going to be in six other countries. And it's just really weird to think about you know, people in languages that I can't even speak reading about things that are sort of inside jokes to my life. It's very, very bizarre. <laughs> wow, that is so surreal. But like, yeah. how cool is that? That's amazing. So what's your writing process like? Do you tend to just go with the flow or do you outline? I mean, how did you manage to do all those drafts and make the Keeper of Velocity so perfect in the end? My drafting process is actually, I call it connecting the dots. I can't work from a rigid outline because it just sucks the life out of the story for me. I get, I think it's because I'm kind of OCD and overthinking. And so I overthink and, and think that I don't need any scenes. Cause you know, a lot of times a very simple scene can be a very powerful scene, but when you write it in an outline that they stand and talk about X, it doesn't sound like you need it. It sounds like, Oh, nope, I got to cut that. So I can't work from a rigid outline, but I can't, as you can see how I ramble just in this conversation, I also can't just completely fly by the seat of my pants because I already write really long books and it would be probably three times as long if I didn't have some sort of structure. So what I like to know before I start is the beginning, the ending, and then about three or four of the big reversals or turning points that I know are going to happen. And I I usually have some idea of the order I think that those are going to play out in, but usually I'm wrong. Usually as I start actually trying to connect all those pieces together, I realize, oh, nope, this should come first and that should come second. And sometimes I realize that something I thought was going to happen shouldn't happen or it should happen differently. But so I have a loose guide and I always have to know where I'm driving the story toward, especially with Let the Sky Fall, because for that story, I actually met Audra in my head at the end of her story. And that was sort of what interested me. I really wanted to know why, because she does something, I won't spoil it, but she does something at the end. And that was sort of like, why would she do that? And I wanted to know. And so that was where the story came from, was leading up to what she was going to do. Ooh, intriguing. Very, very cool. Well, tell us about how you went from wanting to be a Hollywood screenwriter to being the successful middle grade and YA author that you are today. What was your journey like from manuscript to publication? Oh, that makes it sound so much more glamorous than what it really was, which was that I hated Hollywood. <laughs> you know, I realized sort of right away that screenwriting was something that I was probably always only going to be good at rather than great at. It's funny, my whole journey toward getting here, I, 
I realized what I was searching for was a way to get the ideas in my head to come out on the page. I started out being really interested in art because I can draw, but that's the biggest barrier for me with my art is that I have to see something in order to be able to draw it. I can't draw from my head. And I didn't realize that until I got to college and saw kids that could do that, that they could just imagine something and it would come out on the paper. And it was just like, how do you do that? You mean you don't have to find 18 source material pictures and and go from there? And so it got really frustrating that I could never get what was in my head to come out on the page. And then when I got, when I started taking screenwriting classes instead, it was the teacher of that class, my first screenwriting class, who when I got my final project back, it had a note on it instead of a grade. And it said, see me in my office hours. I thought, uh oh. Hi. But actually what she had for me when I met with her was brochures for film schools. And <laughs> she said, you, know, you seem to have a natural skill for dialogue. I think you could really do well with this. And at the time, I think I was 17 and it just sounded so exciting. Hollywood, yay. So that was pretty much all the thought that went into it. It was sort of one of my blonde moments in life because then I found myself at film school realizing two things. One, that film students have to do more than write screenplays. You have to make films. And I'd never used a video camera, so that was an adventure. But then also that as I started learning what screenwriting really was and how Hollywood worked, once again, what was in my head couldn't come out on the page. It wasn't because I couldn't do it. It was because that's not what a screenplay is. A screenplay is supposed to be a collaborative thing. It's supposed to be something that when a director reads it, they can read it loosely and vaguely enough that they come up with their own ideas. You know, the screenwriter's job is not to describe what everything looks like. That's what the director and the production designer do. And the screenwriter's job is not to describe how a character says a line. That's what the actor is supposed to do. And you're required to sort of leave all of that out because that's what makes a screenplay appealing to someone else who to want to be a part of it is that they can see their own ideas. And so if you're putting too much in there, it's a turnoff. Which I understand completely, but the control freak in me was like, but I want to describe it. I want to put that stuff in there. (laughs) So it was just a really wrong fit. And I turned out to be kind of good at producing. So I went with that for a little while. But the workday in Hollywood is insane. It tends to be like 16, 17 hour days. And a lot of times you're traveling. And a lot of times you're constantly looking for work because most projects only last, you know, a few months. That's how long film is in production and then you have to look for work again and I just sort of realized that that would not be the kind of life that I wanted and I had this sort of like how did I get here moment and I realized it was because of writing and so that's when I decided to try writing a book instead and it was like the lights (laughs) down and finally it made sense yay well we're glad you had that epiphany (laughs) (laughs) took a while but I It's all a journey. So what made you decide to write from dual perspectives, one male, one female, for Let the Sky Fall? And did you find either of their voice more challenging than the other? Because I thought you nailed them and they were really different too, which was cool. Oh, thank you so much. You know, the story always came to me in the two POVs. I just sort of knew, I, I think they say the rule for that is that if both characters have to have their own story in order to do it. And it really was a case where they did. Yes, they both are telling the same story, but they're both living very different versions of it because Audra's hiding something and Vane doesn't know anything about his life. So it just sort of worked really well right away in my head that we would be hearing both of them telling the story. As far as their voices, they they came to me very much that way. I And they had their own challenges. Vane is difficult because he sort of refused 
refuses to take anything seriously. And so usually I have to go back in the scene at least a couple of times and pull a lot of jokes out, depending <laughs> on the scene, of course. Because, you know, when someone's there trying to kill him, it's not really the right time to be making jokes. But he sort of naturally does that. And Audra was, was a challenge because she's so angsty. And I didn't want her to become annoying as she was angsting out all the time. Plus, she's very lyrical. So I had to actually sort of learn how to write pretty, which you would think would come naturally. But for me, it didn't. I think probably because of my middle grade background where you don't try to write pretty. And for her, I mean, she she's a wind elemental. And it was something that my agent sort of picked up on in the first read. She pointed out the sentences where I had done it sort of naturally and said it should be more of this. She's like, I know this is a really hard note to give because it sounds weird to say I want more windswept prose. <laughs> it doesn't really mean a whole lot, but that's what I want is I sort of want her chapters to have this sort of wispy, breathy feel to them, which I had to sort of go back and really look at word choice and say, you know, is there a softer word for this or that kind of thing, which gets challenging because there's only so many words for wind as I quickly <laughs> learned. So it was like, man. I love it. Well, like I said, I think you nailed it. It was awesome. Mm -hmm. I completely agree. So we have to ask, in and out you're a bit of a fan, right? Oh, very much so. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a huge burger and fries girl, but your writing made me really, really want some. <laughs> Do you have well, a favorite off their secret menu item? I I am a big fan of the animal style cheeseburger, which is what I incorporated into yes. the book. I absolutely love that. I've heard the animal fries are really good. I've never actually tried them, but I've heard that they're pretty amazing. So maybe I will have to work that in. It just sort of sounds like a whole lot with the burger and the fries. Yeah. <laughs> Go when you're hungry, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, or maybe share with a couple people or something because the idea of all that stuff piled on the fries in addition to my burger sort of sounds like something I would wake up the next day and go, ooh, that wasn't worth it. <laughs> no regrets, no regrets. <laughs> so um, we have a strict no spoiler policy here on Authors Are Rock Stars, but we have to talk about Audra's mom. We really do, <laughs> at least in broad terms. So okay. for our listeners who haven't read the book yet, we'll, we'll keep it general, but she's a bit of a dark character. Did you find the rather emotional scenes between Audra? and her mom difficult to write? Oh, very much so. She was very much my problem child with the book. In fact, I always joke about how every book has a chapter of doom. And for Let the Sky Fall, it was chapter 10, which is where we first meet Arella, which is Audra's mom's name. I think I rewrote that chapter from scratch probably 15 or 20 times. Wow. wow. And she was always a theme that came up in my edit letters as far as, you know, sometimes she needed to be more mean and I had sort of held back because it's just so hard to let her be so mean sometimes wow. to her own daughter. I mean, she obviously has a lot of, you know, right away that she sort of blames her daughter for something. So you understand that she might be mean, but just the female in me was like, could a mom really be that mean to her daughter sometimes? And then at other times, I had to also soften her because sometimes I had to remember that those other instincts that I was having in other moments were right. And that in that situation, she would be remembering that it is her own daughter and she would be nicer. So it was sort of a balance to try and get that right. But yes, she was very much the theme of every revision that I did was Arella. <laughs> oh my goodness. I can imagine that would be rather challenging. She was. It was. I, the nice 
nice thing lady. Yeah. Well, the nice thing was she wasn't in that many chapters. So it wasn't the kind of thing. The worst is when you get a revision note that makes you change something big in chapter three and then it ripples through every other chapter in the book. But hers, because she was only scattered throughout the book, it would be like, okay, so I just have to revise those 10 chapters again, which still sounds like a lot, but comparatively speaking, it could be a lot worse. Yes. <laughs> You're looking on the bright side. I like that. <laughs> She'd be very positive. So, you know, we talked about you, she's your challenge child, but did any other character or plot point surprise you as you were writing? Yeah, honestly, I, I hope this doesn't sound like a spoiler, but Vane sort of almost dies in the book a lot more than I realized he was going to. <laughs> but he had a lot more problems with things. I just sort of hadn't thought it through how strongly the things that I'm putting him through as, as he's trying to come to terms with his power and learn it, I didn't realize how strongly those things would affect him and how weak he would be trying to, you know, survive through them. And so he he had a lot more near-death experiences than I really expected him to have, which actually made the book a lot more intense, I think. But it was that I that definitely caught me by surprise. It was like, and Vane is, you know, unconscious again. Okay. Man, oh man, he just yeah, he can't stay awake. No, you really can't seem to. <laughs> Hang in there, Vane. <laughs> well, before we let you go today, we have to ask you our traditional authors, our rock stars question. Okay. So if Vane and Audra took a break from training and fighting for their lives to uh, go out and have a fun night of karaoke, what would they sing? <laughs> oh, I'm going to have to make a weird wind pun. You know this, right? It's going to have to be. We were hoping for that. So yes, Yeah, just it's going to have to be wind beneath my wings. Oh, good. <laughs> or, or blowing in the wind. Yes. You know, I think there's a lot I, of wind songs. They could have a good repertoire to choose from. Yeah, I think my playlist, as I wrote, has every song that's ever mentioned a storm or a hurricane or wind in it. So any of those. There you go. Oh, that's awesome. They have a lot to choose from. They should have their own little book for karaoke. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us today, Shannon. It was such a pleasure sitting down and speaking with you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. So you guys, we're so excited about this book and Shannon Messenger's awesome writing that we have three signed copies of the ARC to give away, plus an unsigned copy. That's just how excited we are. We have how so much to give away. How much better could it get? That is awesome. It's so exciting. So you guys need to leave a comment and tell us, like, if you were a wind person, would you want to be from the west, the east, the north, or the south? And if you need to do a little research, you should, because the personalities are very different for each wind direction. Hmm. <laughs> again to Shannon and Simon and Schuster for providing these arcs and your time to sit down and chat with us. It was such a pleasure. So amazing. We love you, Shannon. Yay! All right, we'll be back again soon with another Authors Authors Are Rockstars. Rockstars.